one of my favorite things about photography is that it's so easy to engage with it, not just as a viewer, but as a creator. All you have to do is press a button. And of course, it's the pressing that button over and over where you develop the skill. Um, but I love the accessibility of it. It's a universal language and it's something that you know, you can look at an image and know immediately, intuitively as a human, you can feel the power and the emotion, regardless of age, race, gender, socioeconomic status, geography, anything, even time. And that is part of what makes my next guest on the show here, Pete Souza, such a critical um, creator in the, not just the arc of uh, the United States of America and world politics, but as uh, as a guy out there doing what he loves, chasing his passion and hoping to tell a story and represent history in a very, very powerful and profound way. If you're not familiar with Pete Souza, he's the number one New York Times bestselling author. He's a speaker and obviously a photographer. He's done cover stories for Nat Geo, for Life Magazine, Fortune, Newsweek, and was one of the Chicago Tribune staff that won the Pulitzer back in 2001. So to say he's an accomplished photographer is a massive understatement. Um, he's part of the the uh, Professor Emeritus of the Visual Communications at Ohio University. And of course, most notably, if you know Pete's work, he was the official photographer for President Ronald Reagan and then the chief official White House photographer and the director of the White House photo office for President Barack Obama, where he made some of the most iconic pictures in the last 20 years. This conversation has nothing to do with politics and everything to do with storytelling, with pursuing uh, dreams, with the the road to get there, whatever your dreams might be. Um, he, he's so articulate, so humble. I know you're going to learn a ton from this, regardless of your, um, of your whatever mode of creator you see yourself, whether you're a storyteller through words or through pictures. Um, every creator and every entrepreneur can identify with Pete's story because it's real. We talk deeply about the, the term authenticity, and obviously this just oozes from Pete uh, as if you're at all familiar with his photographs, it, it, you know, it oozes out of his work as well. So I am so, this has been a long time coming. Pete and I have been in similar circles for some time. We actually retrace a little bit. We have some similar friends and we bumped into one another at the White House. So if you want to know a little bit about that story, uh, and of course, much more about Pete Souza. You're going to want to tune in and stay tuned for the next uh, 60 minutes here where we talk with the renowned photographer, Pete Souza. Before we do, just a super quick word from Creative Live. Hey, y'all. Hey, uh, new sponsor alert. So this episode of Chase Jarvis Live is brought to you by Creative Live. And you all know, yeah, of course, I am the founder of that company. But I got to just be straight up. This is unequivocally, no questions asked, the best place in the world for creator and entrepreneurial education. I mean, frankly, nothing even comes close and it's the only one that's focused specifically on photography, design, video, art, music, craft, and maker, and the ability to make a living and a life in all those disciplines. It's where the best teachers in the world, where Pulitzer Prize winners, New York Times bestsellers, the best of the best go to teach. So of course, I'm biased, but I, I just encourage you to check it out because 
nothing else comes close. And you will be on your way to join millions of other folks in our creative community there learning from the world's top experts. Okay, that's it. That's my soapbox. That is the commercial. And we'll hope to see you over Creative Life. Now let's get back to the show. Pete, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chase. I appreciate it. Oh, it's a treat. Um, I know we've been working on this for some time, but you're a busy guy. Congratulations on um, a couple of books you've put out recently. You've been touring prior to the pandemic, obviously. But for those of of, uh, the handful of people of the thousands tuning in from all over the world who might not be familiar with your career arc, how you um, tackled all those accolades and were the, um, the White House photographer for both Reagan and Obama, I was wondering... If you could trace a little bit of your career arc, how you got excited, interested about photography, and what um, what twists and turns your career took on your way to the White House. I've had a lot of twists and turns in my, in my career. I actually went to uh, Boston University with the hopes of becoming a sports writer um, and was in their, their journalism school. In my junior year, I took a photography class. Uh, this is back in the day, of course, of black and white film and making your own prints. And I think that, uh, in all honesty, the first print I ever made where you were inside the dark room under those red safe lights and that image magically appeared in the tray of Dectal developer that I was hooked on photography because to me it was it was magic. Um, so that's sort of like how it how, how it started for me fairly late in life, because I know a lot of people uh, uh, make pictures in high school and things like that. I didn't, you know, it was my junior year of college. And it took me probably to the point of maybe, I guess, like, I want to say five years before I got any good at it. Um, I think it was a slow, slow learner in a lot of ways. And um, and I and then I started out working for small newspapers in Kansas. And really, for me, it's been a matter of, I think, um, a good worth work ethic and a lot of luck along the way, uh, in, in all honesty, that uh, sort of propelled me to uh, where I ended up. It's just, it, it just hard work and and uh, and luck. I mean. Uh, you know, just decisions that you make, you get to the this point of your life uh, and you start thinking back uh, on decisions that you made back in the day. And, and, you know, and it just one thing led to another. And I ended up uh, becoming, you know, a presidential photographer twice. Never, you know, was something I ever aspired to. It just kind of that's the direction I <laughs> <laughs> I, I ended up in, basically. Well, was it your photojournalism background that you feel like prepared you best for that? Was it, uh, is it some sort of a tenacity to chase the story? Is it your ability to see? I mean, there's, you know, millions of photographers around the world and tens of thousands in D.C. and probably thousands that would be in contention for some of the jobs that you've received what do you feel like is the difference maker you mentioned luck and and a little bit of uh a little bit of skill i think you probably need to flip the order there but is there um is there any one decision that you feel like really 
change the trajectory of your career or was it tenacity? What, what, what put you in the hunt at all? I mean, I think it was being at a journalism school when I, um, discovered photography, you know, cause maybe had I been in art school or, um, uh, places I could have been. I happened to be in the journalism school and thus became a, a, a you know, a photojournalist as, as a result. And I think for me, the initial attraction was photography, not necessarily photojournalism. Um, I think I have this, uh, I always tell people that I don't think I'm the greatest photographer in the world, but I really believe I was the, the right photographer to be the chief official White House photographer for President Obama. I just think everything in my career came together in that job. Um, the ability uh, uh, and, and the, I, I think I had developed an eye for framing and the moment, the anticipation, um, but also the ability to really hang out and not uh, be a nuisance and not interfere with what was taking place, you know, essentially be a fly on the wall um, and, and, and do that in a professional way uh, and, and have as my main subject someone who understood the role of having somebody like me visually record a presidency um just like everything came together in in that in that job in the, the eight years of that job which to me is sort of like the you know the capstone of my career yeah clearly pen penultimate but um, i mean also like i mean just having had the experience at national geographic for a few years where i learned more about light and color than I probably did when I was working for a newspaper. And so, you know, the, just, I mean, all these factors came into play. Um, well, one of the things that I loved that you said, which I think is often really wildly overlooked, um, coming from a photographic background myself, this the ability, the technical skills I think that is just one small piece of an otherwise complex puzzle. And what I loved, you said it very clearly, your ability to hang out, to be in a position to get the shot, not, I think you said nuisance, not be a nuisance. And and I just think that that is the most sort of underappreciated, under or misunderstood part about, um, about any photographic job. And so what people are thinking right now, the photographers in the, uh, in the audience, again, we've just had some more folks join from Indonesia, from Hungary, from Mexico. What I think they want to hear is, well, great. How do you get good at hanging out? <laughs> if the technical skills you can master, um, what is it, what does it mean? How do you practice that? And is it a social skill? Is it, are you an extroverted introverted build a little, a uh, little story for us around, you know, why you think you might be great at that. Um, you, you know, I wish I could uh, give you a bullet point list of, you know, here's how it's done. Um, I just had a, a long conversation on the phone the other day with somebody who was applying to be an official photographer for one of our governors. And, 
you know, and, and he was asking the same question. And I was like, you know, every case is different. And, and it's and it's something that I think you develop as a human human being more so than as a photographer is sort of how to how to relate to people. And every person is different. Um, and, and this is why I say I think I was the, the, the you know, the right person to be Barack Obama's photographer. I mean, we're sort of from the same more or less uh, generation. I'm actually a few years older than him. And I think that actually helped, you know, but but also knowing just like understanding when um, to to say something to him and when not to say something to him. And it, and it's not something that you can teach. It's just uh, it, it's something that you uh, sort of learn over time, I think. And, that, and that's about the best answer that I can give. I think it's really hard to articulate other than it's different for, uh, you know, every situation. I mean, I think Bill Clinton would have been, you know, a completely different character in terms of how you would relate to him because he's such, you know, much more gregarious uh, personality than President Obama. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I'm just saying they're they're two different people. And so it's, it's just hard to give an answer to that. No, I, I think that's... I think embedded in that answer that it's hard is it's hard to put a finger on is that's part of the je ne sais quoi that I, I think those who are trying to emulate your career, any career, I think ought to know. And it's something that not a lot of creators uh, talk about or can define. Um, you mentioned President Clinton, President Obama, but so far we haven't talked much about your experience photographing Reagan. Do you feel like that was that like a, a, uh, a prep lap was it, was that like your your warm up um, presentation for uh, for what was ultimately the um, the penultimate with with Obama? Talk talk to us a little bit about the differences between not just the the characters but your role in those two different presidencies. I think looking back on it now, it was a it was a prep for Obama. Uh, I didn't think that at the time because at the time. I was thinking, this is the one and only time I'm ever going to be inside the White House as an official photographer, so I'm going to try to make the most of it. I was not the chief photographer. I was hired by his chief photographer, Michael Evans, in the middle of his first term. So I came in, I was like the new guy, and you know, it took a, a little sort of getting used to. Um, I, I, was, I was in my tw late 20s. And I was overwhelmed with suddenly being able to just walk into the Oval Office. Um, and so, I th and, and I think the access situation was a little different in that I didn't have, you know, total access. Um, but I still feel that I was able to make some really good moments during the Reagan administration. It's just they weren't as many because of the particular situation with Reagan. He, I mean, I tell people this, um, I didn't necessarily agree with his politics, um, but I did think he was a decent human being and that he respected the office of uh, the presidency. And I think that it would be difficult to do that job for me 
if I did not have uh, both of those. In other words, I didn't think the the president was a decent human being and that they were respecting the office. I think it would be difficult to me, for me to work under any other circumstance. Um, I, I liked President Reagan. He was difficult to get to know. Um, even even his family says that. Um, uh, but, I mean, he was a, a genial, old-fashioned, um, uh, conservative, I don't mean in his politics, I mean in his manners, his mannerism, uh, you know, very, it, he didn't take his suit coat off in the Oval Office unless it was the weekend. Uh, so, so it was like, and you know, and it was the eighties. So it was a different, a different era. Well, if that was the, um, the preparation workout, if you will, um, for what would ultimately be your, uh, eight year tour duty with, with Obama, is there anything that you learned? Can, is there any like burning memory that you have that said, if I, if given another opportunity, what I would do differently, or there are some key mistakes, key, key learning moments that came out of that first tour of duty with Reagan that you applied to your, your second with Obama? The, you know, one of the things that happened was that the, you know, this was back in the eighties when there wasn't social media where you were shooting film and it would take, you know, a day before you would see what you had shot, that kind of thing. And most of the uh, pictures that the White House then released were, were there, there were very few. And it wasn't the like the behind the scenes moments necessarily. Um, I say that because um, I went into the Obama administration with uh, I guess uh, a, a few thoughts. One was that I needed to have total access, and that I was going to starting on day one. That was all that uh, was my focus. And President Obama understood that. But imagine uh, he's a he's a human being like you and I, and to all of a sudden have this guy taking pictures of you every day, all day long, you know, takes a little getting used to. So it was sort of like trying to, you know, navigate that in a way that um, I wasn't going to relinquish my access. So, and, and that was something that I didn't have during the Reagan administration, which was total access. I was determined that I was going to have that in the Obama administration. So that's one. Two was going back to those behind the scenes moments. That was my focus too, is capturing the spontaneous moments as they happen. And whether they're seen right away or like with Reagan, they're not seen till 10 years later, 20 years later, it didn't matter. What mattered is making sure that I was going to make those pictures in the first place. And I guess lastly, it was um, was uh, to make authentic pictures uh, of, of what was taking place in his presidency. 
Well, part of uh, I'm getting questions in from all over the world, and one of them is from Anders. Uh, obviously, reveres your work. Um, thankful for our conversation today, but wants me to ask, and it's along the same lines as what you were just speaking of, which is while I'm bringing it up, about the um, the juxtaposition between prepared images and reportage or candid moments. Is that something you negotiate? Um, how do you balance those two? What was the approach? Uh, the approach was uh, <laughs> everything was spontaneous. And um, again, it was the, um, uh, you know, my pushing to always be there. Um, there. I mean, we did photo lines per se, you know, where, you know, that person comes in, they want to get a picture standing in front of the desk with the president, you make that picture. Uh, and that's obviously, you know, a posed picture, but everything else is as it happens. And it was, um, that was something that um, uh, President Obama inherently, is that the right word, uh, understood. And it wasn't, it didn't need to be negotiated. Um, and this, you know, imagine if he's not objecting to me being in the room, how could anybody else? And so it was just expected that I would, I would always be there. And, 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 you know, I sort of talked about this in terms of how I made this work. I made sure that I knew my role was as an observer. My role was not as a participant. So I'm in these meetings or I'm in these situations and, um, you know, I don't, uh, interrupt. I don't like say what I think. Um, I keep, you know, keep my mouth shut. Now that doesn't mean that if I'm alone with him, um, that, that, that I might, you know, converse with him, but I always made it a point that when I, when he was in the middle of a conversation with somebody, I was not part of that conversation. I was the observer unless, you know, somebody would say something to me. Well, the, I think this is a key area. Just seeing, again, more questions come in. Um, a key area of curiosity. Does that mean you never coached? Like, hey, Barack, you know, turn your head a little more sideways or, you know, step forward into the light. Is, is there any coaching that happens in those worlds, even when you're just, uh, it's just you and he? Uh, no, no coaching at all. Interesting. Really, really fascinating. Well, let's um, depart for a second on the, uh, the psychology of what it was like and your philosophy on photographing and touch just briefly on something that I'm not that enamored with, but I know <laughs> from the comments people are interested in the technology. Obviously, you mentioned huge arc in technology change from your first assignment as a photojournalist back at the at the papers then obviously um, probably a different world where you had a lot of film being pushed through the system. But as you mentioned, it was film and a lot of these images were delayed. And then the instantaneous, you're looking at the back of a camera and you probably are Wi-Fiing it to someone else. Can you talk about maybe those three different buckets and what it was like to be um, both, uh, I guess, anchored by in some ways and uh, empowered by the different 
modes of operating, you know, between your early career and later, later on with Obama and the instant nature of digital photography? Um, I, I, I switched to digital in 2000 um, when I was with the Chicago Tribune. And I, I remember it was then because it was the uh, on the way to the New Hampshire primary on the plane with my new digital cameras that I was sort of reading the manual, trying to figure out how to use this camera. Was that a D1, an Nikon D1 Wouldn't by chance? D1, yeah. Yeah, I remember that camera. And, um, you know, up until then, I had still been shooting film um, for the Tribune color, color negative film at the time. Uh, and so that began the transition uh, for me. And, um, it, you know, one of the one of the great regrets is that those early digital cameras were were not that good. Yeah. And, uh, you know, subsequently, the following year, I, I uh, after 9-11, I went to Afghanistan for the beginning of the of the war and, you know, risked my life and. Um, there, I made images that I'm as proud of as any I've ever made in my career, and those are on, you know, like the the old digital camera, and that really hurts me to this two, day. Two, a two megabyte file, right? Yeah, I mean, it was like, you know, whatever megabyte file, and because of hard drive space when you're in Afghanistan, that you know, I, I was I had to shoot JPEG and not RAW, so that really pains me looking back on it. Um. The, you know, subsequently over the years, the digital uh, cameras got better and better and better and better. And my predecessor, uh, Eric Draper, who is George W. Bush's chief White House photographer, uh, made the switch to digital at the start of Bush's second term. Um, and that he transitioned the White House photo office to an all digital uh, office. And so when I started, uh, er Eric was really great about, you know, transitioning the, uh, with me. And um, the, the, I, I'm so glad that he was the one that did that and that didn't fall on my shoulders uh, because that made it easier to hit the ground running uh, with the, 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 you know, just digital workflow with, with the uh, with the White House. Um, so, um, and, and, and matter of fact, I was um, talking to somebody about this the other day. I realized that, you know, I started photographing Barack Obama after he had been elected to the U.S. Senate in 2004. And it's, I've come to the realization that I have never, ever made a single image of Barack Obama on a, with film. Every picture I've ever made of him starting in 2004 uh, has been on uh, a digital camera, which is kind of crazy to me. Um, yeah. So, I mean, one of the, one of the things that I tried to still, even though uh, given the immediacy of digital during the Obama administration I still made it clear to everyone that my main job was to document the presidency for history. That's the main part of the job is that, uh, so 
I did not want to be carrying a laptop with me or worrying about sending pictures wirelessly in the moment uh, because, you know, the White House website wanted something right away. So I set the marker down right away that I would not operate like that, that I did not want to be in the middle of some big speech sending a photo back, you know, so the White House would have it right away to post on Twitter or what, whatever. That was not, you know, the main function of my job. So, um, you know, that rubbed, shoulder, rub, rubbed people some a little bit the wrong way. And I would try to accommodate, you know, them as much as I could, but I wasn't going to be carrying a laptop and I wasn't going to not be uh, documenting what he was doing just so somebody could have a picture right away. Um, so um, that, that was a big, uh, a big distinction that I made. Uh, and I held firm on that. Is that a negotiation? I mean, what? It, no, it wasn't a negotiation. You, it was like, this is the way I'm doing it. Because to me, it, the, uh, you know, posting stuff on social media is, is, is not number one on the job description. Number one is documenting the presidency for history. All my pictures, every single one of them, ends up at the National Archives. I didn't want to miss something because I was sending something back. Yeah, so doing that, something that was number four, five, or ten on the list, right? right. Yeah. So, well, if if it's um, if it's not a negotiation, is this then something you have worked out in the job interview, so to speak? I think people are wondering how you actually get this job. You mentioned, um, you know, working uh, for the senator after his election to the Senate for Illinois. Um, so, is this a is this a part of the relationship building over time where you establish your boundaries. Um, and I'm thinking, you know, if this is your, your client, for example, that this is broadly applicable for anyone who's listening. I'm just curious what your methodology was for sort of stamping. I think you said you put your marker down, you know, how does one do that and, and not make enemies or did you have to make some enemies and stand tall with something you believe deeply in? Oh, I'm sure some people were pissed off at me, <laughs> but you know, it, it's part still, of the job, I, right? Part I, of the I, job. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I said to them, I will help you out if it doesn't interfere with, um, documenting for history and, um, interrupting, um, you know, a big event, uh, documenting a big event so that, um, you know, I could get you your picture so you could tweet it out while it was happening is not a good argument to make. So, I mean, the, um, you know, I did have a staff. So if, if, the, if, if said event was at the White House, it would be real easy after the event to hand a photo editor my cards and they could start the process. So it wasn't like it was going to be the next day, but it wasn't going to be, you know, in the moment. And, um, you know, and there, and there were instances where uh, State of the Union, for example, I would have um, one of the photographers that worked for me uh, set up like where the press is 
and he may live transmit something from his camera. You know, so we were trying to we would try to make accommodations, but to to you know, I did not want to um, uh, sort of go overboard about you know social media being the number one thing on my you know list of things to do. I think it's just ruthless prioritization, and that's part of what a lot of people need to hear. I think that that the modern creator uh, is a person who wears lots of hats, and I think it's really curious and interesting as someone who is, you know, the chief photographer of the White House, who has a staff, um, still has to wear hat many hats, and still has to make hard decisions of what to do and what not to do. Well, I mean, I think that it, 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 it's, it's an unusual job in that it's the, I mean, it's, it's the only staff photography job, um, where you're also the boss. In other words, the, the, the photo editors work for you. They don't, it's not like most newspapers and magazines, you know, the photo editor is the boss, Right. And so, um, that, you know, that, that easier to sort of say, okay, this is the way it's going to be. Um, and, but, but again, it wasn't, it, you know, the num- as I said, the number one thing in the back of my mind was documenting for history. And every argument to me was based on that. Hmm. Uh, you mentioned the photo editor and, that brings to mind conjures up sort of workflow and, and questions about editing. And, um, if you had an editor, those, those editor editors, those editors work for you. What was the relationship with that, with, with them? And we got Kristen Schmidt asking, you know, how do you catalog these photos? What kind of a, you know, you've remarked several times about you're in this for history. Um, that's a very profound burden to bear. And, you know, obviously every day when you're posting pictures uh, of, of shade, you're able to key, clearly able to keyword search for a moment that's happened in the previous day. And so I, I think, you know, as you have done such a nice job of pulling back the curtain for us, maybe you could share a little bit about about the editing process and, you know, what goes into creating a catalog like you have that's at your fingertips, but also infinitely complex and sliceable and diceable, you know, an infinity number of ways. Yeah. So we had, you know, we had a filing, uh, a filing system, like we, we established the file name for each photograph, which was based on, uh, the, the date and then, you know, the file number chronologically throughout the day. So we had this file number, you know, a dash starting zero 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 one, and then you know chronological throughout the day. Uh, every single photograph had a caption attached. Um, we had a photo photo archivist that had been there since the Reagan administration. I had actually known her back in the Reagan days, and um, and so she would then go in and try to add um, everybody's name. That was pictured, uh, keywords. Um, so I mean, I'm as proud of the uh, images as I am 
of the information that's attached to each image for historians. It's just like so important to have that information. So for instance, you could, if you wanted to, you know, uh, search at the National Archives, you know, Obama alone with Dennis McDonough, all the pictures from the eight years would come up. You know, that's the kind of system we 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 built. And we we wanted to make sure that all that information, I mean, one of the things that Eric Draper had said to me, this is Bush's photographer, was that a lot of the information was lost when, during the transfer from the White House to the National Archives. Mm. And so we made, the, the, the one upgrade we did is we, we made, the, we worked with the National Archives and they built a database that included uh, all the, you know, the ability to transfer all the information that was attached with each image. In terms of editing, it would be something like uh, on a daily basis, the White House website would come to us and say, hey, we, we would like to use it. We're doing a post of the president's meeting with Angela Merkel, and we need, we need a picture to go with that post. So the, one of the photo editors would go through um, my take and, and select two or three images and usually email them to me. I actually ran my office basically on my BlackBerry. So they would email me the images and I would say, yes, send all three, or I don't, you know, I, I only like the second one, or I might say, eh, I thought I shot this particular image. Can you see if you can find that? And that's, so that's how the editing process worked. In terms of, we started doing this uh, monthly upload on Flickr. At the end of the month, we would do a series of behind the scenes pictures. And that's something that would um, in involve uh, more editing, more of my involvement, more where I would show the pictures to uh, somebody in the White House press office to make sure that, you know, they're okay with with them. So that's sort of how it worked. Yeah, uh, brilliant. And just to as someone who knows has cataloged millions and millions of my own images and knows uh, just enough to be dangerous about the the uh, amount of work that goes in, it's not a surprise that you say you're as proud as the uh, cataloging and the image or the uh, information as you are the image. Um, but I do, I, I think that's just phenomenal as a contribution to history because the image without as much of that that information is is less of a historical record um what about the technology you mentioned databases and what kind of platform were you using are you using the same ones today um is the national archive built on something that is consumer grade is it enterprise grade what's you know talk to us a little bit about um some of the technology used in your workflow and then we'll move on to less tactical and more uh, <laughs> more yeah. um, strategic and contemplative things. Yeah, so, I mean, we <clears throat> in, ingested our uh, cards using Photo Mechanic, mm -hmm. um, which is sort of something that photojournalists tend to use. Um, easy to add uh, captions and keywords and things like that. And then uh, the database uh, was, was something that Eric Draper had purchased a license to Merlin One. And so all the images would go uh, into Merlin One and we'd, you know, we'd have a server and a backup server that the White House main maintained. And then when it came time to transfer 
to the National Archives, they were not allowed to use Merlin one, and for reasons that I'm not quite clear about, one of which was that once you send a record to the National Archives, you cannot change the record. And so Merlin one, you could go in and like, we would update captions all the time as we added names and things like that. But once it was sent to the, to the National Archives, it, it becomes a locked file from the White House to the National Archives. And Merlin, you can go in and change things. So they couldn't use Merlin. So, um, we, you know, I worked really diligently with them and, and an IT guy at the White House to build a similar system as Merlin. And um, it, it, um, and so that's, that's they, they hired a contractor to build this database that is as good, if not better, than, than Merlin. Wow. And, yeah. Well, Julie's asking, does, do all of your photos end up in the National Archives then? Yeah, yeah every single one. Every, so I shot about one, 1. 1.9 million photos. I didn't quite make it to 2 million. <laughs> <laughs> So they're all they're all now at the National Archives. Amazing, amazing! What a contribution to history. Um, I want to. Speaking of history, I want to shift gears to talk about some of the the key moments that you photographed that are, you know, indelibly engraved, embedded in um, in culture forever. Um, one that comes to mind is the image in the in the um, the moment where the raid on Osama bin Laden's compound is going down. Um, can you talk to us about, you know, your, your experience there, what you can share and um, just being in so many of those moments? Do you have some favorite photographs besides that one that is just so iconic? Yeah. So um, that was, that was a, a long day. That was a really long day. Um, but the 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 raid itself, uh, when they were when they were monitoring the raid as it happened, uh, that was like around about forty minutes, um, and it's as uh, tense and anxious a time as uh, as as I can probably uh, remember in my career, and and it was it was tense. Uh, more so for the people in the room than it was for me, although I was pretty tense too. Um, I mean, I think part of the, 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 to me, the, the interesting aspect of the photograph is that you've got all the most powerful people in the executive branch of our government all jammed into this tiny room. Um, and yet, in that moment, they are powerless because, you know, their their decision had already been made, and now it was up to those guys on the ground, and they're watching this unfold, and they, there's nothing they can do about it. Um, and I think that, you know, that uh, the 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 tension that you see in in that photograph, it and and that was a, that was a situation where. Um, you know, I wish I wish mirrorless cameras had uh, had been in um, had, had advanced to the point where they are now. Back then, this is 2011, 
they didn't. So I was using a Canon 5D Mark II, I guess, which was, you know, fairly quiet, but it did make noise. And so I did not, in those 40 minutes, I did not shoot a lot of frames. I think I shot a little over 100, as I recall, or maybe just under 100, which is not really a lot. And um, in terms of like choosing that particular image, um, I don't know. I think that that when when people are able to to see all the images that I shot in that room, uh, which they will eventually, um, I, I I think I, I think I chose the right one. I, I oh. feel confident that it's the best picture. Um, were there others where you could see the same tension? Yeah. But, you know, oftentimes with that many people in, uh, in a picture, somebody's, you know, looking the other way or you, somebody's caught in the mid blank or somebody's looking down or, or whatever. And for what, whatever reason, I mean, that one just sort of gravitated right away. Um, and I think hopefully people will agree with, agree with me when I look at all my images that I, that I chose, chose the right one. Oh, yeah, clearly stunning, stunning image. And that's part of why you shoot 100, right? Because of the blinking and the nose picking and the scratching and the off moments, you got to shoot 100 to get a handful of the ones that you love. Um, is that, was that be, did that become a tool for those moments? I think and we're, we're trying to speak specifically of some of these just hyper historic, like, just amazing captures was the mirrorless did that become a um a, a key piece of machinery for for that purpose of the silent or almost silent shutter you know we never used mirrorless cameras I, the, to me they hadn't yet gotten to the point where they were uh could match the quality of the dslr i mean i thought the canon dslr was fairly quiet there was a silent mode it wasn't totally silent but it was pretty quiet and I wasn't like a guy, I didn't use like a motor drive or rapid fire, or I didn't use a flash for, you know, the candid pictures. Um, and so I, I think, you know, I think people, th th it wasn't that uh, disruptive, if, if at all. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously today, it'd be much easier with a mirrorless to, 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 to be the, the fly on the wall, because there's, you know, no noise, yeah. if you so choose. Um, so, but the mirrorless didn't really come into play during, during the Obama administration. I don't know about you. I still can't get over the, the digital viewfinder concept. You know, the focus is always seems imprecise versus what I can see with my eye through an actual, you know, SLR mirror. Um, I suppose that technology has improved, but, um, like I, I also, I, I like you didn't really see it suitable, for the pro jobs, um, I, I, do you feel like in these moments, um, you know, having the tool be just an extension of your body and you're focused on these moments, did you trained for these moments in advance? Are you visualizing anything when you walk into this, this room, um, or you walk into the situation room or any of these other really high pressure, high profile moments that you've been so lucky to capture. Are you thinking about it, making a picture or, you, or is it always reacting in the moment? I, I'd say 90% of the time just reacting in the moment. Um, and, um, 
you know, uh, uh, I think my my framing and my my use of light in, in certain instances have have developed over time, um, and and it's a it's a product of you know everything I've experienced in my career. Um, there were you know there's a handful of times when um, one that comes to mind in particular is. Um, uh, you know, le- uh, on the last day, leaving the Oval Office for the last time, where, you know, I actually, you know, I was thinking about how can I, uh, I, I know what door he's walking out, I know about what time he's going to walk out, and, you know, capture this in such a way that sort of embodies the the, the moment. And so in a, in a case like that, I might think about it ahead of time and plan accordingly. In that particular case, it involved um, borrowing a ladder, uh, you know, to sort of get up high to show the, sort of the, the as much of the Oval Office as, as, as I could. So, but those instances were pretty, pretty rare. Mm. Um, you mentioned early in your career, uh, or sorry, you're on a conversation about um, being in Afghanistan and actually being in war. Can you juxtapose the moment of sitting in, say, the Situation Room when you were photographing the raid versus actually not at that moment, but being boots on the ground in a place like Afghanistan, which, you know, a lot of people in the, in the, uh, who are listening right now or watching have questions about the, you know, the juxtaposition of, of the pressure of your job versus the, the life and death aspects of, of being a, a war photographer. Yeah, I mean, I've had a couple of friends that have been killed in war, and um, there's no comparison. Uh, Yeah, my job at the White House had a lot of pressure, but there were no bullets flying over my head. There was no rocket-propelled grenades heading my way, whistling through the air. Um, You know, my life wasn't in danger. And so it's a different kind of pressure, um, but doesn't compare to what it's like for, uh, you know, a war photographer and which I will say I was not good at. I did not function well when I heard, uh, you know, sniper bullets whistling over my head. I did not function well and I was not made out to, um, to, <laughs> to, to, uh, to do that for, uh, for a career. I mean, I'm glad that I went to Afghanistan. There's, uh, there's pictures there I'm really proud of. Um, but it's, it's not something that I would ever do again. Yeah. It just seems so hardcore. Um, and obviously several in our community have passed over the course of the last two decades of conflict. Um, I want to shift gears and um, juxtapose all of this work that you've done um, in photojournalism for you know a couple of different administrations and and the reportage with uh, some work that I gather you do for fun. And I'm going to hearken a moment we've met before. I don't know if you remember this. I'm guessing you probably don't. Um, I was at the White House uh, hanging with um, the Lumineers. At South by Southwest, I was a oh. guest of, yeah, I was a guest of uh, of 
the administration and uh, I'd known the Lumineers, helped them uh, start telling some stories early on in their career with, with oh. Jeremiah and uh, Wes. Those guys are amazing. We were standing in the Rose Garden um, talking about uh, taking pictures of music and whatnot. Um, so you take pictures of music. I you look familiar. That's <laughs> coming back to me. By the way, I have to say that the um, the last public thing I've ever done, like meaning go out in public, is I went, uh, I saw those guys in Milwaukee on March 11th. It was their last concert, uh, basically, probably for the year. Uh, they didn't, you know, they didn't know it at the time, but uh, yeah. that that was like the last time I've ever been out in public and and and, and with other people. Oh, those guys are amazing. We um, we did a live broadcast of a whole set of music from our Creative Life Studios in Seattle on the day that their big album dropped. Whatever, I think that was 2011 or 12. So I've known those guys for a long time, and yeah. I know you think highly of them. And and I want to explore a little bit of the stuff that it seems like you do. Um, for I don't know if it's for fun. Maybe you can tell us why you do it. You photographed the Lumineers a lot. Um, Brandy Carlisle is obviously a subject of yours. Your Turtle Charlotte is a subject, and and yeah, she's walking around. <laughs> someone uh, in in the broadcast or someone in the comments said, "I think I see a turtle head over there somewhere in the yeah, behind she, your shoulder." She was walking around. I don't know where she is right now, but she <laughs> was walking around. Um, well, as those. Um, those subjects are very different than what you're known for photographing. I'm just wondering if you can talk about, is that an area of passion? Are these just friends of yours you're casually photographing? Um, and since we've, we share that in common, I was just a little bit curious how, how you go back with uh, Jeremiah and Wesley and those guys. Yeah, no, I met them uh, for the first time at, um, at South by South Lawn uh, when, when you were there. And, um, Kept in touch with them, and then uh, my book, Obama: An Intimate Portrait, was was printed in Verona, Italy, uh, and I was in uh, I was there for three weeks as they were printing the book, um, and it just so happened that the Lumineers had a, <laughs> Came con- through. Had, a had a concert in Verona, and so I, I hooked up with them there, and uh, and then I sort of kept in touch, and um, they invited me to photograph in the studio when when before their uh their third album came out and um yeah so you know i've become friends with them and um i like music i've 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 been a huge music fan my whole life i'm a i've played guitar my whole life i'm really bad at it but i you know i play chords and stuff like that and i met brandy i don't know 10 10 or so years ago she became a really big good friend of mine, and uh, um, so I, you know, I photographed her a lot. Um, and I, you know, I think it's, I think it, it, it's funny. Like I was mentioning earlier, that I just happened to be in journalism school when I developed a passion for photography. And I think if if I had if I had thought about it back then and known that you could become a music photographer that I sort of like to go back to 1976 and, and switch, <laughs> and, you know, start to make my mark as a music photographer back then. So now I kind of just do it for fun uh, is, is, is probably more than anything. Um, 
That's it's really seeing your pictures. Um, you can tell the connection that you have with the artists is uh, key to it. I'm I'm sort of hearkening the commentary that you had earlier around just being able to be present with um, a, an Obama or a Reagan or just you know be the fly on the wall, be comfortable to be around. And I think that's um, probably has a, a little bit to do with the photographs that you're able to get of some of these musicians. It's fun to see you outside of what you're well known for and obviously still um making incredible pictures um what about charlotte like uh you've taken documenting her i've seen a lot of charlotte videos on your ig feed um always been a turtle guy yeah i mean she she has her own uh, instagram feed now. yes charlotte let's, the well, let's, i think she yeah. has like twenty five thousand followers <laughs> charlotte the tortoise uh, charlotte the tortoise. so she um you know sh uh, uh my wife's kids got Charlotte when they were little kids and kids, kids grow up, they leave the house and they don't take their pets with them. <laughs> so now I sort of like, am, I guess the father to, to Charlotte and, um, her, her caretaker. And she's just like, you know, it's just an unusual pet. And, um, I started, you know, doing videos of her and still photos and, um, people were just fascinated. So she started her own account and, um, there's actually, she posted, Charlotte posted today a selfie of, with me and, and Charlotte. Uh, and that's all I'll say. So people can go check it out. It's not on my Instagram account. It's on her Instagram account. Charlotte, the tortoise, for those who are curious and tuning in late, uh, and if you are tuning late, I'm Chase Jarvis. I'm here with Pete Souza, legendary photographer of many things, and not the least of uh, the chief photographer for Barack Obama um, at the White House. Uh, let's see here. So we've uh, covered a lot of ground. I think it's really important to cover uh, a piece of locking, making choices with your art and locking these, you've got 1.9 million moments that you've captured in film, but you know, only a couple hundred get to make your books and, um, a couple of books, one most recently shade tale of two presidents before that Obama, an intimate portrait, um, both number one, New York times bestsellers. Um, when we think about creating and putting as much stuff out as we can and capturing the moments and getting them cataloged at some point, we have to make a choice of what art to put out there and what to hold on to. Um, talk to us about editing those books. And when you have 1.9 million images and you have some of the most iconic photographs of, um, uh, of an icon iconic time and iconic, uh, I guess subjects like Reagan, like Obama and all of the world's top dignitaries and whatnot, how in the world do you make choices? That was tough. I mean, the Obama and Intimate Portrait, which which is, you know, the book that I'll forever be the proudest of that I've ever done. Um, there's probably a little over 300 pictures in the book. And it was agonizing. I don't know how else to say it. But I, but I, but I had a few things in the back of my mind. One was, what was it like? during the Obama presidency. And that, so that was a thought in the back of my mind. Uh, two, what, what are some of the, the, the most important things that happen, um, big events? And, and three, what's Barack Obama like as a human being? And that probably overrode 
everything is is I really wanted to show uh, images that showed um, what he was like as a as a as a person. And um, there's there's some big events that just didn't didn't make didn't make the book. Um, because I was more looking for these human moments, these human interactions that I thought um, really showed what what he was like. And, you know, there's a, there's some cool pictures in there, too, you know, like of Air Force One and Marine One and, um, you know, just like cool vi visual images that maybe don't tell you anything about him. Um, and I'm trying to mix some of those in, too. But for the most part, you know, the, the, the ones that I was really trying to get in the most were just those those moments that that tell you what he's like. Moments with others, moments alone. Um, yeah, all of that. All of it. <laughs> of course, um, lots of folks want to know about your favorite caption. I personally hate hate being asked about my favorites, but I'm I'm projecting now, and that's a bad role as an interviewer. <laughs> so, do you have some favorites? And can, or or is yeah, the one? I mean, I mean, for me, it was the the the, uh, the the and I don't think I really mentioned this before, but I was. Uh, um, intent on trying to create the best body of work uh, that had ever been done on a president. That was sort of like, you know, that, that was my overarching goal. And so I'll let, you know, others sort of weigh in on, well, this is your best picture. This is your most fit. You know, I mean, a lot of people say, oh, the Situation Room is your most famous picture. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's it is it's a historic image, but at the same time, I would say that's like it's not hanging on my wall anywhere. You know, it's it's not one of those. Um, so, and and I think over time it changes. You know, what what are your favorite images? It it, it changes over time, and um, so I sort of like always punt in answering that. Me too. I, anything that's a superlative, like what's the best, the most, the coolest, it's just it's always so hard. You're picking from a lifetime of things. And I can only imagine that's probably exponentially harder for someone who's lived a life and seen the things that you've seen. Um, speaking to your uh, hanging on your wall back there, I do see the famous Snake River Grand Teton uh, image by Ansel Adams um, in the background there. Is, well, I'll tell you a funny you, story about that. Please is, do. <laughs> when I was, when my book shade came out it was being printed at uh, meridian meridian printing in rhode island they do great photography books and while my book was printing on one press this poster was being printed on the other press and i saw it coming off the press and i was like can i have one of those <laughs> and they're like yeah we'll trim off you know all the color codes and i said no 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 keep all that stuff on there. I want everything. I want the, like the, uh, the whole sheet. And so that's what that is. I don't know if you can see at the top is the. Yeah. Is the color, the, yeah. The color bars. Yeah. To me, that was the coolest part of it. So. In parallel with that, are there other photographers whose work um, that you respect and admire or that have maybe played a key role in developing you as an artist? Um, it's a little bit of a typical question, but I'm wondering if you have, um, you know, if you have 
some folks that you looked up to that have paved the way or or maybe even outside of photography that have um, been really influential in your development as a creator? I mean, there's so many. Um, I mean, I think for for uh, for me, um, I mean, two people, three people that I never met that have influenced my career, uh, Cartier-Bresson, of course, the great French uh, photographer who was so good at uh, composition, framing, and 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 moments. The decisive life, moments. Slice yeah. of life. Slice of life. Uh, w. Eugene Smith, the the old uh, uh, Life magazine photographer, photojournalist, uh, you know, developer of the picture story, the photo essay, in in, in many ways, and um, you know, looking through his his famous essays, the Country Doctor, and um, things like that, certainly had, had influenced me. And then I think in in terms of um, at the White House, uh, Yoshi Okamoto, who was LBJ's photographer and really was the first official White House photographer to truly document a presidency for history, meaning he just had total access and just raised the bar on what it meant to be a White House photographer. And in, in terms of White House photography, I think that he he definitely influenced me more than anyone. And I'm Sorry that I never got to to to, to meet him. He tragically um, died um, from suicide, I think, in 1984. And last matter of fact, that last year, last fall, I got this call, sort of out of the blue, from his son. Uh, and it was, a, it was such a fascinating conversation to talk to his son about his dad. Um, so I think, you know, Okamoto has had a huge influence on my, uh, White House career. Well, you are insanely talented at your job. You've got a a clear place in history locked in for yourself and the images that you have created locked in, um, the legacy of a couple men in particular of Barack Obama, of course, um, but with respect to your own, um, I'm, I'm curious if you have advice and uh, advice for people who it's not just about wanting to become the next presidential photographer, but for people who have big dreams. And I don't know when you came into have the dream of being, uh, you know, a, a White House photographer or one for uh, particular for Obama, but clearly you've had dreams in your career and I'm wondering if you could give some advice, not just for photographers, but for all creators out there about what it took to pursue your dreams. And if there's something that's missing from the dialogue in pop culture at large. Well, that's a, that's a big question. <laughs> and to, I, I will, I'll simplify it. Uh, because, um, I can only, um, say what's what's worked for me, which is, um, you know, work hard. Um, every assignment, every uh, time you're asked to make a picture, uh, no matter who the client is, do the best, you know, the best job you, you, you can. Um, 
the you, you're going to get uh, lucky in your career um, if people see that you do uh, work hard. For photographers in uh, specifically, I mean, I don't think there's any, like, you can't get on an elevator and hit 20 and get the job that you want. You know, you just you just have to work hard. And and I I would not necessarily aspire to become a White House photographer. And and I say that because the odds are against you. <laughs> and I mean, I got lucky. That's that's how it happened to me. And you could do all the right things and still not get that job. So instead, I would say just, you know, do the best you can at what you're doing. People will recognize it. Um, for for a photographer, I think it's so important to uh, get out there every single day to make pictures. Um, I think you learn by your failures. And the only way that you can fail is to try. Um, and, you know, even today, I mean, I'm limited in um, because of my I have asthma, you know, I'm at that age group where I do not want to get coronavirus, so I'm li limited in what I can do, but I'm still, I mean, I was out this morning um, doing macro shots of my peonies out front, you know, just, uh, just try to engage every day in photography. Um, I mean, you, you look at somebody like John Stanmeyer, who is, I think on day, I don't know, 40-something, uh, he's a National Geographic photographer stuck at home in Massachusetts. And every day he's photographing in his house. And it's fascinating. I mean, it's it's a it's a it's genius uh, to show the creativity that exists in the world. Uh, and if you, you're not uh, th th these are different times and some people are, are willing to take more risks. Uh, than, than me, and that's all fine and everything, but uh, I think it's so important to be photographing every day and learn from your mistakes. You said a, a, a one-liner, it was a quick one-liner earlier in our conversation that I want to come back to here at the end, and the, the quick one-liner was, I just tried to make the most authentic images that I could. And you were referring to um, the, the Obama presidency. Clearly, you're a super authentic person. This conversation just oozes it. And I'm wondering, when you said make an authentic portrait and when you carry yourself as you do, like what is what is authenticity for you? It's a word that gets thrown around quite a bit. But, you know, what was, you know, how do you think of that word and what role has it played in your your career? I mean, I think it's, I think it's, um, to me, authenticity is, um, uh, you know, being truthful, uh, and, and, and truth is open to interpretation, uh, and because we all bring our own, you know, background and, 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 and thinking into every situation we're in. But, you know, authenticity to me means um, that you're representing what is taking place 
in a in a in a objective and and truthful way, and 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 to me it's the 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 mood and the emotion, right? That that you're like the picture in the Situation Room to me, that represents the true mood and emotion of what was taking place that that I witnessed the the way I saw it. And so I think that's what I mean by authenticity. Um, and I think it's it's actually even more important today uh, than ever that photojournalists especially are doing that because I mean, I don't want to get into politics, but, but you, you know the, the the that we have one of our highest national leaders uh, questioning, the uh, whether something is fake news or not, it is so important for photojournalists, especially, to be authentic in the in the images that they're posting or publishing, um, and and not to um, n- not to misrepresent any situation. Um, it, it it is so vitally important. Uh, on the topic of importance, shade Taylor two presidents incredible. Um, not just result in having you know so many copies be sold and hit the New York Times list, but just incredibly timely. Obama, an intimate portrait, such a uh, a capsule of legendary work. Um, those two books, if you haven't, uh, if you're listening right now and you haven't looked at either or both, um, now is a great time to go pick up a copy. And, uh, I'm curious, Pete, what, you know, after, after two just incredible, um, incredible books, what is next? Do you have another book in the works? Are you working on something that you can share with us right now? Or is it all hush hush? (laughs) (laughs) What are you working on? I'm, I, I've, I mean, I've got, um, I, I'm, I'm still actually trying to figure out my next big project. Um, will I do another book someday? Yes. What, what will that book be? Not sure yet. Um, I will, I will tell your listeners, listeners that, uh, there is a documentary film in the works coming out about, uh, me and my career, mostly centered on, President Obama that will be out this fall. Uh, it's it's being produced and uh, by uh, Laura Dern, the actress, and um, Evan Hayes, who uh, produced uh, Free Solo. Um, and so that's coming out this fall. And and I have uh, a lot of involvement in 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 uh, in, in that film. I'm also helping uh, President Obama with the um, photographs for his forthcoming book. And um, so some of the, hopefully some of the pictures that didn't, didn't make my book will, will, will appear in his book. So I'm sort of helping him curate uh, those images. Nice. Just kick, kicking it with a casual uh, shared Lightroom library, <laughs> walk down the street and lay out some tear sheets and, help the uh, former president pick out some good pictures. I'm sure it's more uh, more advanced than that, but I would love to see some more of those images come to light as I'm sure so many. And congratulations on the documentary. Wow, that is 
Yeah, it's yeah, a little but... it's a little unnerving because um, the you know I'll I'll lose a little bit more of my anonymity, um, which you know which is a, a little uncomfortable, but um, you know I I think it's I think it's for the the I think the documentary will be for the greater good. So um, what uh, a, what a crew you've got working on it. Um... I've been a long time friends with Jimmy Chin, the director for Free Soul, who was actually the, the most recent guest last week on the show, right? Uh, right oh, proceeded, okay. proceeded yeah, to. I've never met Jimmy. And obviously he's he's good friends with Evan Hayes, who yeah. is one of the producers. And yeah. now I'm good friends with Evan. So small world. Someday we'll meet. Someday. <laughs> I think so. We'll all we'll all come together. And just I, I can't thank you enough for not just this conversation, but your role in history for being such an iconic, humble, hardworking, uh, you know, badass photographer. Uh, clearly, uh, one of the best in the business, best to ever hold a camera in the photojournalism world. You've taken, you know, some of the most iconic photographs of the last 20 years, um, and I'm just it's really important that I give you a shout out from Michael and Chris and Allie Rice and Robert and Han and Ryan and Jennifer Lee, people from all over the world want to say thank you so much for inspiring them. There's a lot of congratulations about your book, a lot of just kind notes about your role in telling amazing stories of the past two decades. And just for me personally, thanks so much for being on the show, Pete, what's the best place if people want to learn more, where would you steer them? Um, and how can this community come together to to help support you as uh, as the artist you are? Uh, yeah, so my website's PeteSouza.com, pretty simple. And at Instagram, I'm at PeteSouza. So it's, uh, those, those are, <laughs> I actually haven't updated my website in probably, I don't know, five years or something like that. Um, but, you know, you could see more of my more of my work there. And I regularly post to, to Instagram if you're not following me on Instagram. Um, and, you know, sometimes I post old pictures of President Obama or new pictures of Charlotte or, you know, pictures of my flowers. <laughs> it's all it's all fascinating. And while uh, Charlotte might be a great subject, she's not the fastest typer. So she does not post as often as no, Pete, she doesn't but... post as often, but. Um, yeah, she posts a lot of videos. <laughs> um, and that's Charlotte the Tortoise for anyone who's curious on Instagram. Uh, Pete, again, thanks so much for being on the show. Uh, you're a legend and an inspiration to so many, including myself. I appreciate you taking the time out and uh, I just want to wish you the very best. Thanks for having me on, Chase. Hey, that was an awesome episode. But before you bounce, just I got three quick thoughts. First, thank you for being in this community. It gives me so much juice, I can't even tell you, so much juice that when I hit publish and this show goes out into the ether, that there's an amazing community of like-minded people just like you consuming and sharing the show. So thank you. Second, it would be huge. It would mean the world to me if you left a review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Now, we're regularly featured at the top slot there on Apple's podcast page and others in Spotify, etc., and that's because of your reviews. So if you've ever wanted to uh, lend a hand or you got some value from me in the past and you want to pay it forward, that would be amazing. And then lastly, it would also mean the world to me if you shared the content that you get here, whether it's a screenshot or a photo of where you're listening, anything via Instagram stories um, or any other social feeds tagging me and the guests. Now, I repost this content and your comments all the time, so I would love 
to share your shout-outs in my feed too. Um, not only do these shout-outs, uh, are, are they good for you and me, but they also help us book amazing guests because they see the reach that you cultivate. This is a way for you to help contribute to the show. So again, I want to say thanks. I'm just at Chase Jarvis. You can use at Creative Live as well, and the guests are easy to track down because they are, well, they're usually quite well-known people. Um, but again, thank you so much for listening. I'm looking forward to being in your ears again, hopefully tomorrow.